We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Untuck It. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. The Lakers are on a eight-game winning streak after a couple of very fun wins in Dallas and OKC. But there was a bit of news that dropped in the last week that we wanted to give a little bit of our attention to before moving forward with the season. Rob Polinka was promoted to vice president of basketball operations while maintaining his GM title. There was a contract extension, uh, according to Woj, that accompanied that. And I think that's a notable bit of news for this Lakers team. It is very easy to forget how much chaos and turmoil this organization was in not that long ago, man. It was a few months ago. Six and months ago. Yeah, six months ago, right? And it, it wasn't just like, oh, they didn't play well or anything like that, but just like a bunch of nonsense, right? Like between Magic resigning, Ty Lu being the coach and then not being the coach, right? And then kind of missing out on our top options and ending up with Frank Vogel, which any good season like this has to have a little bit of a lucky streak to it too. Uh, and that's certainly one of them. But I, I think that the lack of chaos that goes beyond just acquiring Anthony Davis and having a two superstars. I, I asked LeBron fans last night because they're, they're an interesting group of fans to me in that they're not always team loyal, right? They've, they've followed him from different organizations. And when you follow a team or player on a day-to-day -day basis, you just have so much of a deeper understanding of how things work and how things normally go. And I asked them what stood out to you. And the most common response has been no drama. 
since when are we no drama? The Lakers, right? Like yeah. between LeBron James teams and the Lakers, that's actually quite the recipe for drama. And we saw a lot of that last year. I think Polinka, you know, he this is Genie in the organization's way of saying thank you for riding the ship. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. My question for you is like how how the hell did this happen? Is it is it just Anthony Davis or does it go beyond that? So I think it goes beyond that. Originally, when Palinka was signed, he signed a five-year deal, right? So this is year three of his five-year deal, correct? Correct. So his contract wasn't going to be up soon, but this is the hump year. And so I think that they've likely seen enough from him and understand what he's about through basically two and a half years to sort of know what they're getting with him. I think this year's success obviously plays a huge role in wanting to promote him and to extend his contract. But I also think, too, that they're likely looking to solidify the organizational structure and promoting Palinka helps do that as well. You know what really stood out to me was LeBron quote tweeting that, and I forget who it was said that he's earned this extension, and LeBron being like, hell yeah, he has, right? Mm -hmm. And there's been a history with LeBron of clashing with coaches, of clashing with GMs, and that's not a pejorative on LeBron. In a lot of those cases, he had very valid reasons to feel the way that he did. I have not followed his career on a day-to-day basis the way that many people have, but it seems to me that he's more on the same page with coaching and with the front office in a way that like laying down roots is a plausible thing for him to do. And that's especially interesting as he goes into his kind of twilight years of his career while still being very much a max player at this point and probably will be next year. And like barring injury, what does that look like? Like LeBron could be here long term and still be very good within that. And I think Palinka deserves a lot of the credit for that. Yeah, I think that this is where I think Palinka's roots as an agent I think he has a deft communication skill when it comes to his relationships with star players specifically, right? And I think in general, I think he has that with players. And I think that this is true of like Bob Myers as well in in Golden State. Those guys come from a very specific background of really strongly advocating for in and for their players by always looking out for their best interests. And I think that now that Palinka is on the management side of an NBA team, I think that he likely is very much bringing that same skill set every day to the job, particularly with the players. I think it's true with the coaches as well. You heard Frank Vogel's quotes, right, about he feels like he has a very strong working relationship and strong communication lines with Rob Palinka. But I think that just go back, right, and what was one of the main storylines of this offseason? It was the way that Palinka really reached out and made LeBron James and Anthony Davis thought partners in the process of, of building out this roster. Now, you and I have talked about this before, about how that sort of offers cover in both directions, right, mm-hmm. for the general manager. But 
I don't think from just a logistics standpoint and not like a media relations one that that's very much important to those players behind the scenes. When you talk about some of LeBron's relationships with organizations before, and if you even listen to a guy like Brian Winhurst, who's covered LeBron for a long time, he has often said that LeBron almost always wants plausible deniability, right? Mm-hmm. Like, So he wants to be passive aggressive in his relationships with management so that he can say behind the scenes, I want this, but then if things go wrong, he can then back away from that and say, well, that's on you guys. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think Palinka, in a very smart way, has brought those guys into the fold and elevated them in a way where he's putting it out there in the open for everyone. Like, not only are you telling me what you want, but I'm asking you for that and we're going to do it together. And when we have success, we can share in that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if there's blame, guess what? I'm going to take hits for that, too. I built the team. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think he's done a really good job from that standpoint as well. It, it's interesting because the argument against Palinka this summer was an argument from ignorance. And we acknowledged that at the time, right? It's why are we going to go with this unproven guy when we're the Lakers and we've got so many you know, of the best and brightest in the game want to be here? Now, there are people who made those decisions not out of ignorance, right? Most namely Jeannie Buss and the, the people that she trusts to help her make these decisions. In that They've been around Rob Polinka for these last couple of years and know what he's about. And so thankfully that has worked out. But what I find interesting within that dynamic is that one of the criticisms of Polinka was that he was not collaborative. But it's but it's a matter of who he was not collaborative with, right? It's other people within the organization who it's the difference between managing up and managing down. Yeah. And like, who are you trying to make happy in this, in this whole thing? So if there are people underneath him who aren't thrilled with, you know, their level of say or input or how often they even have access to discuss things with him. That's one thing, but it's a very different approach from him when, like, he knows exactly who the most important people are to make happy in this dynamic. And that's something that between Vogel and Palenka, that collaborative and inclusive approach with your stars, rather than being like, no, it's my team, I'm going to build it the way that I want, which is never going to work. But it's also not on the other side, where it's like LeBron, you get whatever you want, yeah. right? And there are there are some things, and this kind of leads to the performance Lakers had against Oklahoma City. There are some things where it's more of the GM's responsibility than it is on LeBron, right? Like LeBron's going to have heavy influence, and in, like hell yeah, you do everything to get Anthony Davis in. In terms of the role players and the construction of the roster, that's way more on the GM's hands and. Look at that win last night, man, against OKC. Like, if that's not a testament to how well the pieces fit together and the culture that they're building, I don't know what is. And you got to give Palenka a great deal of credit for that. No, I think that you do. And I think that he targeted specific types of players, not only from a skill set standpoint, but from a character and personality standpoint that has really worked out well. And one of the quotes that I thought was super important 
coming out of the win against the Thunder was what Dwight Howard said. Dwight Howard specifically pointed out Quinn Cook and Troy Daniels and basically said, look, those guys have essentially become end-of-the-bench guys, but their work ethic and their character has told them to continue to work hard and to stay ready. And you saw how that sort of level of professionalism played out in their performances when they were called on after really not playing meaningful minutes now for weeks, right? And I honestly think Palinka, those things mattered to Rob Palinka. Troy Daniels was one of the first signings. One of the next signings that was announced was Jared Dudley. And then mm-hmm. he chased after Quinn Cook as another point guard option, right? Like all of these external free agent conversations were the ones that were basically had first while he kept very close tabs on the returning guys, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, like Palinka did a really good job, I think, of building out this roster in a way where he got the types of players he wanted from a skill set standpoint, but also from a character and building the puzzle that way in terms of what the relationships were going to look like between these guys in the locker room. I've been thinking a lot about the genius talks that they have and the concept of it. And I, I think it's indicative of what Rob Palenka values. And the whole idea is that you're going to bring in somebody who's an expert at what they do. And that might not be basketball, but they're an expert in what they do. And having discussions with those types of people help you become better at what you do as a result of that. I think there's a lot of that within the role players, right? Like that was one of the, the the second most common response from those LeBron fans was the role players fit in so well. Like everyone really buys into what they do. Like Avery Bradley knows exactly who he is. He's under no illusions that he's going to be a first or second option on offense, but he is a ball pressure guard and he's going to get into you and he takes pride in that. That's part of being good at what you do is taking pride in recognizing what you do and taking pride in it. So that's Avery Bradley, even Troy Daniels. Troy Daniels is a shooter who has not shot terribly well as a Laker so far, but the whole mantra that they have of be a star in your role, Mm -hmm. like JaVale McGee fits that. KCP has become an elite shooter. He fits that. There are so many guys within that that fit that idea that I think that we're seeing more and more of Polinka's outlook and how he views the game of basketball and the early returns on him running the show for the first time are fantastic. So I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this six months after being like, we need to get this dude the hell out of here. Yeah. But I am absolutely thrilled with the job he's done and I'm glad that they've extended him. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to introduce a new segment on the G League. So, uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. You ever seen untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. Since they've got over 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on guys all shapes and sizes. It can be frustrating when you're looking to find a shirt that fits your frame, but you just can't find anything. But Untuck It takes care of that. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free, button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is super easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. 
So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, so before the break, we were talking about Rob Palenka and guys being a star in their role and the value that he's provided in kind of constructing this team. Uh, very excited. We're going to have this uh, this new segment, hopefully more than once if if our, our guy is down to do this. But uh, one of Lakers Twitter's, he's a star in many roles, but one of his specialties is covering the G League. So we want to kind of check in on the young guys. And joining us, we've got Ben Rosales. You can follow him on Twitter at brosales12. And he follows this stuff closer than anybody I I know and is really knowledgeable about each of these guys. Uh, ben, thanks so much for, for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to talk about uh, how these guys are doing in the G League and especially with you guys who kick it out of the park uh, each time. So I'm really uh, interested to see your guys' perspective as well and uh, see where uh, these guys will be in the future. Yeah, man. So, so in that spirit we, of being a star in your role, one of the difficulties of evaluating guys in the G League is sometimes they can be in a different role or oftentimes be in a different role than they would be with the parent club. And so that brings us to the G League guy that I think we're all most interested in. That's Taylor Horton Tucker. Now, Tucker is, has had some phenomenal highlights, right? He's a guy who can dunk on you or make these like bendy, one-footed, leaning, uh, you know, finishes around the rim or dish off to a guy. But it's very much an on-ball role. And, and so my question, I've got two questions on him specifically. But first, when THT is ready, how does he project onto the parent club in terms of the archetype that he fits? I think the principal one that he'll fit immediately would be as an on-ball initiator, especially with a bench unit where he has shooters about him, he has a role man he can play with, whether that role, that guy pops or rolls primarily. The idea is you want him to round the corner and be able to make decisions. And by and large, he's able to make good calls there. There was, he's had rough up and down times, as you'd expect a guy his age who's younger than many of the lottery picks who are about to come this upcoming draft. So he's he's has his teething issues, but he, if there's a skill he's most ready in, it's to come in, keep the ball moving, keep distributing, and do that while ensuring that there's good flow in the offense uh, as a whole. So it's interesting that you brought up his decision making because that's that's something that we don't often relate to players who are like 19 years old. What about him in terms of? decision-making stands out most to you? Is it his ability as like a passer to make the right read? Is it shot past decisions? Is it just sort of surveying the floor on when to hang back and when to attack? I'm someone who has only caught the highlights, which is like basically winning the lottery every single time that you scratch a scratch off, right? Like that's not how this works. And so someone who's sort of seen extended stretches of him, what sort of stands out most to you when you talk about decision making? I think it's uh, very much the ability to kind of hit those uh, high value passes that we'd expect like uh, to cutters, to shooters in the corner, especially after rounding the corner and diagnosing the defense after that. Um, 
So, uh, but on that note, and probably what the people get to, um, it doesn't necessarily dovetail with shot selection, which is probably his biggest issue at the mm. moment. So he doesn't he, he he doesn't round the corner and have a good sense of oh, this is the space that I've been given. I'm going to go go up, or I should explore this space more and keep my dribble alive and keep progressing forward. But if he rounds the corner and he can rifle a pass to the to the corner shooter, he does it that you can see him round the corner. It would look almost indistinguishable from what LeBron does to say Danny Green. Uh, but it's very much in that singular sense. And it's exciting because you don't often see a 19 year old able to make those reads consistently. And it's, and I think those flashes um, make for great highlights to your point. It kind of betrays a sense of, Oh, he might be a bit more hyped up than he is because he's not ready at the moment. And there's plenty of holes in his game, but there are certain things that you can't teach uh, 19 year olds to do. And that's certainly uh, one of them. Ben, can he play off ball at all? Because that's a concern that I have in that this is projecting to be the parent club that is a veteran team for the next couple of years. And while he may have this kind of clay to work with as the, the on ball guy, the as you said before we got on air, the LeBron of the South Bay Lakers, um, that's very unlikely that he's going to be given the ball, even with an NBA bench unit, even by next year. So is there a way for him to kind of crack the rotation by operating in other elements of his game off of the ball? Does he have that? And and where do you think he projects in that respect? I think he's capable. It, he, he's good at uh, moving off, off ball and kind of he'll, he'll see other drivers go in and he'll relocate himself into open space. And he does a decent job of that. The bugaboo there is obviously as from his numbers, he's only shooting 28.6% from three. And it's been rough on some nights. He's been unstoppable on others. So whether that, and this was a question uh, on him going back to college, whether that was going to show up. And it's, um, we, we're, we don't, we're not exactly a physiology expert, but I'm sure a guy with his stature and long arms has a bit of mechanical issues to um, to cycle through that, that might be cause trouble at the next next level. So if there's anything that would stop him from progressing to the next level um, as, as soon as next year, I, I do think that's possible. Uh, it would be the shot um, causing issues in the transition. So we've talked a lot of offensive stuff here with with THT, but one of the things that I'm most intrigued about him as a prospect is defensively, just because of his tools, the long arms, the big hands. Um, the sort of stocky base and like, what have you discerned from his minutes in the G league as a defensive player? Because I tend to think that with young players, especially, and Frank Vogel said this about Paul George, for example, when he was coming up with him is that one of the reasons why George cracked the rotation at all was because he was already an NBA level defender. And I think if THT is going to end up cracking a rotation as a 20-year-old and a second-year pro, um, it might be because of his defensive skill. And so what have you seen from him on that end of the floor? And do you think that he's maybe ahead or behind where he might need to be in order to be a contributing NBA player? He's about has the raw issues you'd expect from a 19 year old. He'll miss a help rotation every now and then. He won't dig down on, on, on the right guy. He'll, he'll miss that needs to switch here or close out. I think those are part of the teething issues he's had in the G League. I would say he's probably a little farther ahead of the help, 
help an off-ball guy than he has on-ball. I, I think he, there's a level of explosion that hopefully he'll develop as he grows into his body and a little more dynamism to help on-ball. Since while he does have really long arms and really big hands, um, it doesn't quite necessarily extend to his lateral side-to-side speed. So he could stand for most twos and threes. I wouldn't expect him to check point guards. Uh, fours would might, I mean, he might be able to defend them like Chuck Hayes defends centers, but not so much in the size uh, bracket. So um, in terms of how much he can be coached up, but I've seen progress in terms of uh, from the start of the year to the end of the year, start of the year. I mean, he was an 18 year old. He was missing every other rotation, uh, especially in how frenetic G League play can be and how sometimes defense becomes an optional aspect when you're putting up uh, a level of pace that would beat uh, any of the current teams in the NBA right now. And this wouldn't be uh, a thing in that respect. But certainly, I mean, the tools are there. I think he, he definitely tries on that end. Effort is not an issue. He doesn't take plays off for, for the most part. I think when there's breakdowns because they're, hey, they weren't on the same page or he shares the court with Travis Ware, not a great defender, uh, of the whole panoply of Geely guards, including Zach Ravel. So, but. I think there's promise there, but I think it's that it could be another gating issue in terms of him coming in next year and being able to contribute. But I, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he'd be able to do so off the bat either. I, I'm still stuck on the Chuck Hayes reference. That's very nice. That's a good good ten years ago. Now speaking of undersized centers, you are the president of the Devonte Haycock fan club, Ben. This is your opportunity, man. Sing the praises of, of, of this dude who you've been championing for, uh, for quite some time on Twitter. So Devontae Kaycock in college basketball was the best rebounder, period, in terms of, I, I don't, I don't quite sure of the metrics and total rebounder rate and such, but in terms of raw rebounds per game, he was the guy. And that was supposedly the only thing that was good about him. I think the, the rest of his uh, profile wasn't very attractive. But he has an incredible, incredible motor. He runs out there. He's active on the boards offensively, defensively. He's always involved in the play. He doesn't take plays off. And he has enough interesting skill to dovetail with that to not be overly pigeonholed into a bench energy big, although I do think that's at least initially going to be his role. But I think it all starts from the idea that He's just, he's always there boxing out. He, uh, he's always, uh, and not in a Rodman way where he'll do it to the detriment of uh, the rest of the um, the defense. He'll sit there and rotate. He'll get rebounds that are out of his zone. And I'm seeing his phrases primarily in that respect because his current rebounding is ridiculous. His total rebound rate is 25, which I'm pretty sure other than Andre Drummond would lead the NBA uh, at the moment. So what he pairs with that is he has a great touch uh, um, offensively around the rim. He's shooting 66%. A lot of, not all of those are just putbacks or garbage buckets. He faces, he can face his guy up. He has a decent dribble, which I think he used against opposing fives straight up. He has active hands in the pick and roll. And so much as when guards actually get him the ball in stride, which is an issue. But I think he's very much a guy who could walk into the parent team right now if Dwight Howard needs a load management night and give the team 15 minutes and be very serviceable in that respect. 
it's very interesting because going back, you know, even a decade, right? Like the idea of one of the key skills that translates to the NBA level is rebounding. It used to be back in the day, actually, that that was one of the more desirable things that you would look at in, in terms of picks. And there were guys who would fall to later in the first round or even the second round who were high-level college rebounders like Paul Millsap or Kenneth Fareed, for example, who carved out long NBA careers now as energy guys. Do you see comparisons between Kaycock and maybe like a Paul Millsap type, like when when he was young, right? Like Millsap now is a stretch player who shoots threes and is one of the craftiest defenders that you'll find. But do any of these names sync up with him? And if not, is there sort of a present day pro who you might compare him to that might give listeners who haven't seen him a better idea of what type of prospect that he might be, even if he's not at that level now? Right. I think Farid is definitely a good... Comp. I think Millsap always had a bit more skill than Kaycock uh, does at the moment. The guy he's most frequently compared to now is Montrezl Harrell. I don't think he'll ever quite have that level of skill. And I think Harrell's significantly farther ahead as a defender uh, since he keys a lot of the Clippers' best lineups when he plays the five. And I'm not sure Kaycock, he certainly tries hard and he has strong uh, hands defensively when he's on switches to get steals, but I don't think he's ever quite going to be that um, sort of foundational piece that's going to be a, I don't know, $20 million a year this offseason. But going back to Fareed, as kind of an energy guy, I think Kaycock is less trapped between positions than Fareed. He's a big guy. Fareed's a little bit on the smaller side. Outside of Houston, he might not have found a team that was willing to pay, play him at the small ball five. Kaycock weighs 240, which I'm thinking is 20, 15 pounds heavier than Fareed. So, um, uh, so a bigger Fareed, perhaps not in the same sense that Fareed was always very good about where to apply his motor, especially on the offensive glass. It's still obviously TBD on whether Kaycock can do so. But as you said, rebounding is one of those aspects that holds true across all levels and tends to shine. So I do think that's that might be a good comparison point, although we always struggled before saying, yes, this guy's definitively this guy. That's always the issue with projections, whether from the draft to the NBA or the G League to the NBA. That, that's certainly my biggest concern with Kaycock is the defensive end. I think that if you're going to be that type of big in the NBA, you have to be serviceable on the defensive end. And from what I saw in the preseason, at the very least, I thought he was a, a decent ways away in that respect. Has he at least made progress in that respect, Ben? Yeah. So, I mean, he'll always, he'll usually be there in his rim protection responsibilities. I think he, uh, I never saw a good wingspan figure. He's probably a 7'1", 7'2", guy. So good for a four, not fantastic for a five, more leaning more towards an undersized guy. So there occasionally will be shots that go over him uh, that maybe a guy with true center size would deter, as we see a lot with JaVale and Dwight, a lot of times it's just that they're there and they're really big and they cause a lot of those misses in addition to defensive smarts where Kaycock might not be able to get just by sheer physical ability. Uh, one thing he does have in his favor, as I uh, alluded to earlier, he has a uh, surprisingly high steal rate for a big and not, a lot, not all of it comes uh, just from uh, what he picks up in the passing lane. Some of it's instinctual in which he, he digs down at the right time he gets on a switch and manages to 
uh, strip a uh, perimeter player. So um, he's not a pure 100 uh, percent switch big all the time. He's not going to fulfill that role, but kind of in a pinch in which he's defending in space. I think that he could uh, be serviceable in that respect, and especially against bench lineups that won't test his defense in space all the time. Since I mean, not every team will be will have Lou Williams out there to single you out and toast you every possession. Now, our other two-way contract guy is a guy who I was actually pretty impressed with on the defensive end who I think has a lot of tools in that respect at the very least to work with, but I think has a long way to go on offense. And I'm curious to see his progress on that is Costas Anadokounmpo. Uh, he's widely perceived as being on this team because of who his brother is. I- I'm curious, what have you seen Ben on the court with him? Is he somebody that has some viable future in your view? He has incredibly intriguing tools. He is a guy where if the light bulb ever went off, it would be terrifying. And it's just, and but this has been true going back to when he was playing at Dayton, and I dismissed the idea that he was much of a prospect because the field was so far behind. To your point, on offense, he primarily his main utility is the dunker out of the pick and roll. He will try to do his best the simile of his brother, your own stepping and such. It tends to not lead anywhere a lot of the time, unless the Opposing center is really slow-footed. He's a straight-line driver. There's not a lot of craft. Uh, the, the teams, to my perception, has been trying to use him primarily and to do lunch pail big man duties, set good screens, to roll hard to the rim, be there for putbacks. Uh, there is a nascent three-point shot. I think that might be his best bet to be useful. Uh, at the parent level, if he can get that to somewhere serviceable, it makes the other flaws more forgivable since then he can attack closeouts. Then he can uh, uh, help with uh, spread, um, create five out lineups that are more, more desirable. Um, and then on the defensive end, he's, he's still raw. I mean, he, he, I, I was alluding to Kickoff, I mean, has respectable instincts. And, and I think process is behind even that. He's not quite, Block trying to block everything in sight is a lot of young, big centers that come into the league with good athletic tools. Try to, but he'll miss a lot of help rotations. He won't quite be there on on switches. Um, so, and the rebounding obviously is nowhere near Haycock's level. That being said, he'll have moments on switches where, just as we talked about flashes with PhD uh, with Costas, he'll blanket a. Uh, a perimeter player, swallow him up, take the ball over and go and dunk on the other end. And he'll do that once every other game or so. And you'll be like, oh my goodness. Like if <laughs> he was back, back more often, we would have something on our hands. And, but he's, he, even that saying, he's an older prospect. He's, um, he's 22 now. I think he, it's, there's obviously growth that could still go. And I think he was a late starter to basketball, like his, Brothers were, but um, yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, whereas uh, with THT, he's still so young. With Kaycock, he's ready now, and Kosas is kind of cut, caught in between. Uh, beyond the uh, sort of banal uh, notion that um, he's here to show his brother that yes, we will treat you very nicely. Um, I don't think he has a ton of intrigue for the parent team unless he takes jumps and certain skills. I'm not sure there yet. So it sounds to me then that if you were ranking these 
these guys. And obviously THT was a second round pick, but you would probably rank them THT, Kaycock, and then um, Giannis's brother in Ghost terms is. of like... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just play, look, look I'm just playing into this idea. You right? have to get to a certain point of ability before Darius will even learn your name. I, he barely knew my name when we started this podcast. So yeah, just never change, brother. Anyway, continue. No, Pete's still in my phone as Laker Film Room, right? Like it, it, like it doesn't even say Pete. So if that actually is the ranking that you would see them as, who do you actually think has a chance to actually be on a 15-man roster as even a potential contributor next season? Is it close between THT and Kaycock? Or is, like, let's leave all the political stuff aside as him being a draft pick and them already sort of investing in him with actual, like, draft capital? Right. So just ranking on that, Kosas would have been off the team uh, already, and I think Norbell would have kept his two-way spot. Uh, so that tells you where, how I uh, view him long term. Uh, I think Kaycock definitely has the best chance to, if we're talking just a discrete role on next year's team, I I definitely think Kaycock has a better shot of that. If one or JaVale or Dwight pops away in free agency, I certainly think Kaycock could fill a 10, 15 minute role. It would be a downgrade, but he would be a cheap option there. And I think he would do, be at the very least serviceable in that role. And with THG, it's a it's a really wide open question that real I mean the best draft analysts will twist themselves into knots projecting rookie to sophomore jumps and it becomes an art rather than a science at a certain juncture. You it's hard it's so hard to tell work ethic it's so hard to tell just the dumb luck of development curves. Sometimes he certainly has a great ceiling. There's a there's a fantastic player that can be molded out of the play here, but I would rank it. In terms of a role next season, Kaycock and then THT. And um, there's even a few, honestly, a few guys on the South Bay Lakers I would rank ahead of Coaches just because I think he's still pretty far away unless he takes a rather surprising uh, jump next season. Well, Ben, this was super informative. This is a, an element of the Lakers franchise that's going to be really important going forward, especially with how superstar-centric we are, the continued ability to find contributors going forward. And your insight is really helpful with helping us understand that in a year where most of our attention is toward the parent club because we're finally good. So really appreciate you have, having you on, man. Um, I, I hope we can do this again before the season ends. Yes, most certainly. And uh, happy to see how these guys are progressing. It's exciting uh, uh, to me. And I think one of the joys that of the past few years, if there's been joys to be found, is seeing how these guys have grown into their roles and kind of de- developed from uh, where, they, where they started uh, from the first time I watched them in college as draft prospects and moving forward. And I think that's true. To, this is where it happens for uh, this current era of Lakers basketball, since that's very often where these guys are going to be playing. But the Lakers are going to be picking the first round this year, and there are a lot of good players there, too, that I think they contribute immediately. So it's it's still exciting times on that count. Yeah, and we'll be sure to have you on when, we, uh, when we're when we ready to, to discuss that. So thanks so much, man. Um, all right, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game.
Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it? me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two. One. Listen. Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.